Well, good morning, City Church. It's probably obvious by this time that I'm not here with you in the auditorium, but I'm away uh, for a week with my family, kind of getting some R&R. But what I wanted to do was just give a brief introduction for the person that will be preaching this morning. Her name is Sarah Fletcher. She's a friend of mine. She's a friend to City Church. She's been a young lady that I've gotten to know over the years, and I can honestly say I admire her call of God and her giftedness for ministry. Sarah went to the University of Virginia. She enrolled in 2008. Following graduation, she became involved with Chi Alpha Campus Ministry on ground at the University of Virginia. She serves with Pastor Pete Bulet there. She is the women's pastor. And when I knew that I was going to be gone this weekend, I reached out to her to ask her if she'd be willing to preach this morning's message. So please, will you give a, an exuberant warm welcome to Sarah Fletcher. Once upon a time, almost 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish man named Jesus, or as some preferred to call him, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Jesus was a rabbi, or a teacher. In those days, rabbis used to travel from town to town. They were experts in the Torah, which is the Jewish law. And as they went from town to town, they would teach on the Torah, and people would come and listen. Now, rabbis held great honor, so it was a great honor to be allowed to follow a rabbi in his teachings, and even more if you were invited by that rabbi to follow him. So if you were, even if you weren't a disciple, if a rabbi was near your town, you would pack a lunch, you would go out with your family and your neighbors, all the people from the town, the countryside, they would come to listen to the rabbi, to listen to his teachings, and sometimes even to debate him. <laughs> so... This rabbi Jesus, one day, he was teaching in a place called the Mount of Olives, which is a ridge along the eastern side of a city called Jerusalem. And he had been working miracles in all of the towns he had been going through, healing blind eyes, helping the sick. And so he had become quite famous, and many people had come out to listen to him. So here he was, Jesus is teaching, but actually something unique was happening. As he was teaching, people were starting to get a little bit mad. They wanted miracles, but instead, he was trying to tell them truth. There was a disciple there of Jesus named John, and he records a conversation that happened on this day. And in it, Jesus was trying to tell all of the people listening to him that they were not really children of God like they thought because they were slaves to sin. And the conversation went a little bit like this. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? You are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He is a liar and the father of lies, yet because I tell truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why won't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear me is that you do not belong to God. 
Now the Jews were furious at this, and they shouted, it's right, we knew you were crazy, we knew you were demon-possessed. Jesus goes, I'm not possessed by a demon. I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it. He is the judge, and I tell you in truth, whoever obeys my word will never see death. They go crazy again. We know you're crazy. Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish people, he died. All of the prophets, they died. Yet you say whoever obeys your word will never see death? Just who do you think that you are? Who do you think that you are? We're going to get back to that. We're going to start with who I am. Hi, I'm Sarah Fletcher, as Pete said. I work with Kyle Christian Fellowship at the University of Virginia. Uh, as he said, I also graduated the University of Virginia with a degree in religious studies. That's not what I came into the university for. I came in wanting to do science. But I became a Christian at the university, and when Jesus captured my heart, I think he also captured my head, and I started to realize theology classes were a lot, lot more interesting for me than chem lab. Chem lab was bad. Theology was good. Hmm. So that is why I'm here with you today, sharing a message instead of in a chem lab somewhere singeing my eyebrows off, which is something that actually almost happened my first year. Um, so really, I think I got the better end of the deal. I got Jesus and my eyebrows. Really, quite good. And uh, actually, I quite love my eyebrows. You guys are like, why is this girl talking about her eyebrows? Uh, because these are also my dad's eyebrows. These eyebrows are what call me a Fletcher. This is how I know. So um, actually, my entire family has these eyebrows. So I'm, I'm really excited. In three weeks, I'm going on a family reunion with my dad's side of the family. It happens every two years. About 50 of us get together for a week and we go to a different national park every time. So a week, we have matching t-shirts, matching eyebrows, we, um, we go on bike rides, we have a family talent show. It's phenomenal. I do compete in the family talent show, but I don't win. Um, but it's this fantastic time where I get together and be with other Fletchers. Fletchers are pretty cool. I like being a Fletcher. So, um, being a Fletcher means something to me. We're getting somewhere with this. So we've been in a series called There and Back Again, whose goal has been to try to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament, showing us that there's so much value in knowing more than just the latter half of the Bible. Week three of this series, Pastor Pete and Peter Hartwig the Younger spoke on knowing someone's story. They said that if you don't read the Old Testament, you're missing out on a huge part of God's story. It'd be like telling your parents, oh, actually, I don't really care to know anything that happened to you before I was born. It doesn't really matter. We can just start from now. Start from when I came into the picture. And so when he shared that, as I was thinking about what to share today, I thought, how much more important is it before you even get to the story to know someone's name? When you know that I'm a Fletcher, you start to learn something about me. And so today, I wanted to talk about the importance of knowing God's 
name. So we can all agree names matter. We can especially agree because probably all of us in this room have come across that moment where you're talking to someone and you forget their name, and it's horrible, right? Right? Like you're there and they're talking and you know you're supposed to know their name. Maybe you've known them for like a full year and you're just like, yeah, buddy, yeah. Or even worse, when you're praying for them. Lord bless my sister in Christ. Uh, We need to know people's names. Knowing people's names matter. And the Old Testament is drenched in the power of names and the act of naming. Actually, do you guys know that joke? Okay, so I want you to imagine God in all his creativeness. He's at the beginning of creation, and all the angels are gathered around watching him. And God, you know, he's doing his thing. He's calling stuff into being, and he announces, look, I've just created a 24-hour period of light and darkness upon the earth. And all the angels go, ah, wow, God, you're so creative. You're so powerful. This is incredible. What are you going to do next? He goes, I think I'll call it a day. <laughs> oh, I love that one. Um, so, but, it, but in all reality, at the beginning of the Bible, God says, let there be light and there's light. You know, he, he does this thing and then what does he do? He names it. He calls it a day. When God creates something, he names it. And then God makes the first man. And what does he tell the man to do? Name the animals. The first act of Adam is to name the animals. So we see that naming is so important in the the process of creating and coming to know creation. But even more than a day, even more than animals, in the Old Testament, we start to see that the names of humans matter a lot. That in the Old Testament, names are filled with meaning. So sometimes uh, names would be about a character trait or a circumstance of someone's birth. Sometimes names were about someone's character or mission in life. For example, uh, there was a woman named Sarah who was actually the wife of Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. And God comes to Abraham and Sarah one day and says, you're going to have a child. And she says, excuse me? He says, yeah, you're going to have a child. And she goes, ha, ha, I'm old. I'm old, God. Are you sure? He says, yep, you're going to have a child. She has a child. She names him Isaac, which means laughter. She laughed when God said she was going to have a child, and thus she names her child laughter. Or, this one's particularly funny and really unfortunate, there's this one man named Esau. Do you guys know what Esau means? It means hairy. There's this little hairy baby, little, little fuzzy thing, and his parents go, what shall we name him? And they name him Fuzzy. They named him Harry. They named him Esau. So sad. Can you imagine that? I I can't imagine that. Anyway, so Esau's poor parents named him Harry because he was quite a fuzzy little fellow. And uh, if parents were kinder than Esau's parents, they would often name their children something to do with God. So in Hebrew, the the word for God just kind of collectively was El. El meant something about God. So when you read the Old Testament, you start to see names like Nathaniel, Elijah, Elisha, Daniel. And those were names that were meant to say something like saved by God 
loved by God, gift from God. And so you would name your child something to do with God. Does anybody have an L in their name? We have any Daniels? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we got a couple of them. Oh, you guys have been naming your children strong names. I like it. So, but how many of you know when we name our children something, we don't have the power to decide whether or not that name will play out? Just because my parents named me Sarah, hi. <laughs> Just because my parents named me Sarah oh, doesn't mean I'm a princess despite the fact that Sarah does mean princess. Yes. Or um, just because you name your child something that means saved by God doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to believe in God, though we hope and pray so. Yet, the Old Testament takes it one level further. Parents name their children out of meaning, but if God names someone, you know that that name means something. Because God knows our minds. He knows our hearts. So when he names you something, you know that it must be true. It must be a true characteristic, a true fate. What did God name the first human? Adam, correct. Adam is formed out of the Hebrew word adama, which means ground, dust. He formed the man from the dust and named him dust. Adam, dust to dust. I know, it is kind of funny. Or there's a character in the Bible named Jacob. Jacob, it's a pretty unfortunate name. At first, it meant one who deceives. He was a tricksy little fellow. He was, kind of, he was the brother of Esau, and he used to steal things. He was a troublesome little guy. And yet, God sees potential in him. And in one scene in the Old Testament, God wrestles Jacob and at the end of this scene, God says, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is no longer one who deceives. Your name now is Israel, one who struggles with God, or may God prevail. God says, I see something in you, and I'm going to name you because from now on, God is going to win in your life. You are going to be a man of God. So when God names someone, it matters. Let's take it one step further. What about when God names himself? If God names someone because he knows their future, because he knows at the deepest part of themselves who they are and he names them after it, how much more when God names himself can we know that that name is filled with meaning? Yeah, we can know it. We are going to go to a place in our Bibles where we learn the self-given name of God. Would you turn with me to Exodus 3? You can find it on your phones. You can find it on the screen. It's also in page 46 in the Bibles provided if you have one of those. Great. I'll give you one moment more. Let's read it together. Moses said to God, oh, okay, here, I'll give you some background. So we're at a scene where Moses, who is a man who was living in Egypt but escaped, he ran away and now he's working as a shepherd. And he's out in the fields and he sees a burning bush. And he thinks, well, that's pretty interesting. And he approaches it 
and he realizes it's holy ground. And he gets in a conversation with God, who is there trying to get his attention. And while he is there, God calls him to do something huge. He says, go back to Egypt because you are going to save my people who are in slavery there. And Moses is kind of freaked out. He starts to make a lot of excuses. Oh, no, God, you don't want me. Are you sure? And God is trying to encourage him. He said, yeah, Moses, you can handle this. I have handpicked you. And that's where we are in this scene. Moses is trying to think through, what is this going to look like? And so he says to God, okay, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's my God voice. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Can you go to the first part of that slide again? Great. Moses says, what shall I say your name is? And God says, I am that I am. Now this is actually really interesting. So this is a Hebrew phrase that God is giving as his name. You don't really need to know what it sounds like because we're not going to remember and it's kind of confusing. But trust me when I say that it means I am that I am, except that people who are studiers of Hebrew, Hebrew works a little differently than English. It's got some different tenses to it. It encapsulates more meaning and time. And so one theologian named Victor Hamilton actually says that the name of God in this place says more than I am that I am. That's just what we put in there as the basic meaning. What it actually means is something that has both past tense, present tense, and future tense in it. You can see it here. What it means is, okay, present, past, future. I am that I am. I am who I was, I am who I will be. And yet it also means I was who I am. I was who I was, I was who I shall be. I shall be who I am, I shall be who I was, I shall be who I shall be. That's a pretty long name, right? It's a very long name, but that's what it means. In completeness, God is never changing. He is who he was, who he is, who he will be at all times. He is this. That is that phrase, I am who I am. Now, God knows that's a little long, so he starts giving us nicknames. He moves to, okay, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then he shortens it one more time. You see it as, God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you. The Lord is actually a Hebrew word represented by four letters. Yeh-heh-vah-heh. Yahweh. And what it is, is it's a condensed form of that first statement. I am who I am. God is like, my name is James Bond, James sent me to you. 
but you can call me Jamie. I, that actually wasn't in my notes. I'm really sorry. I don't know where that came from. Um, but Yahweh is basically God's nickname, except that it holds just as much meaning as the first full statement. I am who I am, who I was, who I will be. Who knows that only God can make his nickname just as heavy and important as his full name? But everywhere in your Old Testament that you see the Lord, you are actually reading the name of God, Yahweh, I am. And it occurs 6,220 times in the Old Testament. We call it the Lord. It's put in your Bible as the Lord because we actually don't know how to pronounce it. Hebrew didn't use vowels at the time. And also the name of God was considered precious, so they tried not to say it too much. Thus it says, the Lord. Yahweh. The name of our God is Yahweh. I am. What is the meaning we see behind God's name? First of all, he is unchanging. He is unchangeable by past, by present, by future. He is saying, I am who I am and I will never change. No amount of time can change who I am. Is also saying that God is independent. What I mean by this is what we think about God, what we think his character should be, what we say about God doesn't change who he is. He is who he is. He cannot be changed by what we think about him or want him to be. He is who he is. And finally, if those two things are true, his name is meant to be comforting. Because the God who tells us that he is faithful, the God who tells us that he is loving, that he is just, he is saying that no amount of time can change that that no person can change that. He will be that forever to the Jewish people. He will forever be present. That is everything included in this tiny little four-letter name, Yahweh. The Lord. There's a verse in Psalms, Psalm 910, that says, And those who know you, those who know your name, put their trust in you. Oh, Lord, you have not forsaken those who seek you. It's literally saying because we know your name, because we know your name is I am, we can trust you. Every time you say the name of God, you are proclaiming who God is. He is. He is faithful. He is loving. He is good. Every time they, the Jewish people said the name of God, they knew that they could trust in him because it was reaffirming the identity of their God. Pretty powerful name, right? Okay. Travel with me. We're going to go back to the story that I was starting to share at the very beginning. Remember, the Jews are gathered around. Jesus has been saying some things that gets them a little bit mad. And they have said, Abraham and the prophets died. Are you saying that you are greater than Abraham? Who do you think that you are, Jesus? We're going to be in John 8. 54 through 58, if you want to turn there. This is the continuation of that conversation. Jesus has just been asked, who do you think that you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. 
If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. That's a burn from Jesus. I'm just letting you know. But I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it. He was glad. They go crazy again. You were saying that you're not, or you're not 50 years old yet, Jesus. You're saying you have seen Abraham. You know this about him? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this they picked up stones to throw to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Before Abraham was born, I am. When Pete asked me to speak, he said, you can speak on anything from the Old and New Testament, just piece it together. And I was like, thanks, Pete. Couldn't give me a little more specificity. But anyway, so he gave me the freedom to choose what I could speak on. Why do you think I chose this? Why did this matter so much to me? They have just asked Jesus, who do you think that you are? And not a minute later, he says, I am. This is why we need to read the New Testament in the light of the Old Testament. Because, I'll be honest, I've read this before and I didn't understand it. I was kind of like, okay, those Jewish people are a little bit testy. Goodness. They're not picking up stones to throw at him because he doesn't know how to correctly use tenses. They're not like, he can't parse the verb be. Let's kill him. Oh, silly. They're not even picking up stones to throw him because he's saying he was born before Abraham. If that's what they, were, what they thought, then they'd probably just call him a crazy person and move on. There's plenty of crazy people. No need to hurt them. They're just crazy. Plus, he would have said, before Abraham was born, I was. Jesus says, I am. They are picking up stones to kill him because he has just claimed the name of the living God. The God who does not change, the God who was and is and is to come. Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus is saying that they are one. In fact, in John 10, not two chapters later, the Israelites actually explain why they are picking up stones. They say, we are not stoning you for any good work, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Did you know that I was raised to believe that Jesus was not divine? There are actually religions that, that teach about Jesus, but teach that he's not God He's just a man. He's a good guy. That's why we learn about him. I was raised in one of those religions. And can I tell you, I realize this is a personal and emotional statement. I'm not saying everybody feels this way. But every time I was in there listening, I just felt something lacking. This Jesus didn't make sense to me. This Jesus I was supposed to believe worked miracles, who never sinned, who was perfect, who did all of these things, and yet I'm supposed to believe he's just like me? I'm supposed to believe he's just this human? It, it never quite clicked in my head. The Old Testament is how we know that names matter. The Old Testament is how we know the name of God 
People say that Jesus never claimed to be God. They say he never said it. Okay, I'll give it to him. Maybe he never said, y'all, I'm God. I'll give that to them. They can take that. But when we read the New Testament in the light of the Old Testament, we realize that Jesus by no means never pointed at his divinity. He did. He said it in so many ways, but we don't understand it because we don't understand the context. He used the name of God, I am. It came up in other places. At one point, he said, destroy this temple and it will be raised again in three days, speaking of his body. Do you know what the temple is in the Old Testament? It's the place where the full presence of God dwells. And Jesus has just said, my body is the temple. Or at another place, Jesus, in Matthew, Jesus claims to be the ultimate judge. Yet everybody knew, because everybody knew the scriptures then, that Psalm 50 said, the heavens declare his righteousness, God himself is the only judge. Or in John 20, this is a scene after Jesus has been put on the cross. He has died, gone into the tomb, come out, and been resurrected. And he has appeared to his disciples, and there's this disciple named Thomas. Everybody else is excited. Jesus is back. Jesus is back. But Thomas says, no, I can't believe it. I saw him hanging on the cross. I saw the wounds. I saw the blood. And Jesus comes to him and says, put your fingers here. See the holes in my hands. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas, overwhelmed, says, my Lord and my God. If Jesus was just a man who's supposed to point at the glory of God, don't you think he would have been like, whoa, buddy, sorry, I didn't mean to give you that impression. No, 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 like, all glory to God. Instead, when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Blessed are you who did not have to see the holes in my hands to believe I am your Lord and your God. Why does this matter? Theology matters. Knowing what we believe about God matters. But I mean, why, why should you care in your heart right now? I'm teaching theology, but why should you feel it here? I want to tell you one more story. Flashback almost 10 years with me to 17-year-old Sarah. I've been in college for maybe four weeks, and I've had more conversations about God in those four weeks than I have in my entire lifetime because Chi Alpha students are really passionate about God, and they really want to tell people who Jesus is, which is awesome. That's why I work with Chi Alpha. I love Chi Alpha. So these students are trying to tell me about God, and I was on the edge Y'all, I had been so primed for this. God was after me. I could feel it. But, but as I learned about God, as I heard about God from these people, it was so hard for me because if God was as good and as holy and as pure and as righteous as they said, why would he want anything to do with me? I knew I was broken. I knew I was very sinful. I knew I came from a sinful family, from a sinful people like God was totally justified in wiping all of us off the earth if he's that good and and I know that I'm this bad I was in this place where I really actually thought God was real but I could not believe that he wanted relationship with me 
And one night, a friend and I were together. She's actually here. <laughs> Hi. Um, and she says, Sarah, so this is kind of like a, a shortening of the conversation. But basically, she said, are you ready to receive God? And I said, not, not quite. I, I want to work on myself a little bit. You know, I, I just got to get to a point where I feel like, like, I, like God could really want a relationship with me. And in the kindest, yes, mo- yet most strict reprimand she could, she said, Sarah, Jesus comes for the sick, not for the well. He comes for the sinners, not for the righteous. I accepted Jesus the next night, but that's not part of the story. Normally when I tell this story, I focus on the Jesus comes for the sick, not for the well, because I'm trying to encourage people, God wants you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. He wants you right now. But today, I want to focus not even quite there yet. The first part of the statement was, Jesus came. That Jesus came at all. And you can come up. Um, If Jesus is claiming to be God, if he is God, if all of these places where he's pointed at his divinity are true, that means something incredible. It means that God came down to earth. It means God himself touched blind eyes, touched them, and made them see. It means God himself next to a woman in the dirt and told her, you are not condemned for your adultery. Go and sin no more. It means God himself watched people he had created pick up stones to throw and kill him with. It means that God, the God who knows no space and time, the God who said, let there be light and there was light, the God who is so big, so powerful, all big, all powerful, that God shrunk himself to a six-foot frame that needed food and water to live, that needed to sleep, that he stayed in that small, small, weak little space for over 30 years, that my God did that. It means that God, God himself felt nails driven through his hands so that my sins could be nailed to that cross as well. If Jesus is who he says he is, that's what it means. If Jesus is just a man, we've all known plenty of good men. If Jesus is just a man, what happened 2,000 years ago is about as interesting to me as chem lab. If Jesus is just a man, what are we all doing here? But if Jesus is who he says he is, then God is anything but far off. He came closer than anyone could ever imagine. God in flesh. And the scriptures tell us that because of Jesus on the cross, that temple of God where the Holy Spirit dwelled can now be in us as well. This is why I am a Christian. Because of what my God was willing to do to endure, to share with humanity by coming as Jesus. Jesus came. I am 
became, I am, took on flesh. And that is a God worth following. That is a God worth worshiping and a God worth loving. A God who doesn't demand our sacrifice, but willingly becomes it. So we're, uh, we're going to step into worship to praise this great God, I am, this Jesus who came that we might be well, this Jesus who came that our sins might be nailed to the cross. As we praise him, I ask that you see him as more than a man, and that just like Thomas, you would be able to sing, my Lord and my God. Thanks for listening to me today. Thank you.